Opposite. See this here? Yeah. This guy, he can well, he went a little bit mad. Yeah, he ended up burning his house down. His own house? Yeah. Wow. Quarantine problems. Well, I think kind of ex-wife problems. Well, maybe between maybe think, everything mixed together. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think his. Uh, well. He, I think he, he was having problems with kind of like um, paying like the alimony, well, what we would call maintenance, I think in the US they call it alimony. Mm -hmm. And she wanted more and he thought he was giving enough and I think they were going to take the house from him so he just burnt the house down. Fuck. So we're going to go down here. And it was kind of a real shame because the guy was unstable but he was kind of trying to he was really trying to um kind of help himself i mean he'd been through loads of stuff like he'd been like a crack addict well he'd been like um uh he'd been in jail quite a bit and you knew I, him I, well i met him a few times because you do you see all this kind of like mess here yeah like the, a big project that he was doing for himself was to cool. kind of help him, his own kind of mental health, but also just to make the place look nice was to try and clean up the local surroundings. All so, the trash. Yeah, but also trying to make the place, do some other things like do a bit of landscaping. So, you know, kind of cutting down some of like the dead trees and what we call like coppicing. So like managing the like nature kind of. Um, and uh, it was a real kind of like shame that happened because it, it seemed like he was on like the right track and during the lockdown he was making the place look a lot nicer so like all the you know all this stuff like where you know kids are just like throwing stuff all over the place he was like clearing it up but yeah and then I think it was sometime in August about four or five months into the lockdown where he, yeah I think he just like lost his marbles what happened to him uh, I think he I think he um, I think he actually got sectioned Pri you, like prison but section means like um you're kind of it's like kind of like getting arrested but you can you're put on, under a mental health order. So you need like two doctors to, well, the verb is to section someone. So it means that it's kind of, you're then under the care of like the mental health services. So instead of jail, he went to some kind of mental health institute. Yeah. So over there, there's like a, an industrial estate. And here, something that, I mean, the guy was called Colin and he was like kind of, landscaping here so all this stuff like he got rid of this and why there is so many trash everywhere in I, england i, I mean i guess people throw it but well why? well i i think i don't think there is a lot i just think it's where we live yeah for some reason people are like that around here but maybe maybe you're right um i don't know there's a kind of like apathy and but i kind of Compounded with that, 
youth. But they just like young, young kind of like working class people, it's almost like a, their own, like by dropping lit, it's almost like their own kind of like, fuck you. I don't... So um, you think it's like a socioeconomic age? Yeah, yeah, I think thing. so. I think, I think it, and also just like fucking laziness. Well, that's for sure. But the thing is that I, um, I, I saw some yesterday going to downtown Manchester in the park the other day and it's something that surprised me I would think I would have thought that it was like very well you know in the United States you have big fines for littering and uh, I would well, have thought well well Britain had the same I wish we did here well I wish it was cleaner I hate littering it drives me fucking crazy yeah it's so stupid It's where you and, live. And, and, yeah, and it's yeah, it's so kind of self-defeating, isn't it? And it's it? not gonna go away. That's the thing. Yeah. So, Martin, tell me, where are we? So this is uh, a place that doesn't really have a name, but this kind of like pool here, it was used as a kind of cooling um, area for. Um, like some of the factories around here so like during i think it was last used just after the second world war but um there's still industry here but not like heavy industry like there was so it's no longer used as a cooling pool i feel that every time we go for a walk here it means getting our shoes muddy it means getting muddy yeah so It's the wrong, yeah, it's really uh, the wrong season if you're looking to keep your shoes clean. <laughs> um, it's the wrong season for many things. Yeah. <laughs> it's not usually the, as muddy as this, but I mean, you'll notice there's a lot of balls here. Yeah, there's a lot of foot, uh, because of the football field to our left. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of football balls yeah. in the I've got to say, when I was young, well... When I was younger, yeah, if you kind of like lost the ball, yeah, you'd have to go and collect it. But obviously, these balls are not very expensive. Well, they, they just go buy a new one. Yeah, just go and buy a new one. It's the kind of it's that culture that drives me. That's crazy. exactly the answer to the littering, you know? Yeah, just, just throwaway culture. One. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, let's buy another one. I've lost it. Buy another one. But I mean, when I were asked to where we are, we are in the outskirts of Manchester. Yeah, yeah. So the kind of like this, this kind of like east was like um, the industrial heart of of, uh, of Manchester, and I suppose it, it still is like one of the few places where they still have like manufacturing. What do they do here? Um, all sorts of stuff. Over here, actually, ironically, there's a uh, a paper recycling um, uh, mill. So occasionally you, you get to see like um, more hens and ducks here. Oh yeah, there's a lot of trash. So much, yeah, I mean, it could be so nice. It could be such a nice place for people who live around here, you know, just to come for a walk. And some people do, but I mean, and it really drove me crazy because I'm like, Yeah, Colin, was, yeah, he was fucking nuts. But, I mean, he was trying to make it nicer for, for people. And like, he see, when I, 
And the, he's the one punished. Yeah, yeah. The two or three times when I met him, he seemed to be really sincere in wanting to do something, you know, and wanting. Um, but I mean, obviously, like he had his demons. Oh, this looks a bit. Close. Yeah. If if he burned his house, it's intense. Yeah. Somewhere, yeah. something is intense there. Yeah. No, that's a loop then. Okay, and if we keep going there, we are right where? So yeah, you go off, there's that kind of like an industrial estate down there. Uh -huh. And you know the um, the cycle path you used yesterday? Yeah. This is another route onto it. Uh, okay, we connect on this side. I see. Yeah. What is this thing here? Honestly, don't know, but maybe... Maybe, I guess maybe it was some kind of like revolving thing. Uh, you should say it's the Druid Ruin. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> it's the yeah. Stonehenge of Manchester. <laughs> it's the Stonehenge of the Industrial of, Age. Of, of Reddish. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, this again. I would be careful because it might end up falling on our asses here. You know what? I'm going to do it this way. So we're going to go up here. We're going to take a really. Um, a route really close by where we live. We're not going to go very far. Okay. So, you're gonna, you, so I'm going to show you a bit more uh, rubbish because uh -huh. there's quite a lot down here. We are actually, and also, oh fuck me. You can jump actually, on the stone. Yeah, surely. Did you grow up around here? Um, I grew up um, kind of around here, but not actually here. I go up like a bit further the other side of Stockport and we moved about quite a bit. I lived in Macclesfield um, for qu quite a lot of my teenage years, which is a, a town about 20 miles outside of Manchester. And does this look, but does this look like kind of similar to where you grew up? No, no, it was, it was different. It was probably a, it was a bit of a nicer area to be honest. Um, but we, because we moved around quite a lot because my parents um, ran pubs. So, you know, when when they changed job and changed pub, we kind of changed area. So they they run pubs, but they were not their pubs? Yeah, very often. Well, sometimes they were, and sometimes they were managing for, like, another owner. Oh, this is a nice tunnel of trees. Yeah. yeah. So you guys changed... Like, I moved a lot, but in the same area, kind of. Yeah, ca yeah, kind of, just all, always like in the South Manchester area. So you didn't have to do new friends every time or everything, or do you did? Well, kind of, yeah, well, I kind of, um, because, I mean, I, I managed to stay at the same school, but I had to travel quite far. Well, not far, but, you know, like about 10 miles to go to school. How old are you, Martin? 43. 43. This, you know what's crazy here? Is the amount of water bodies there is. Yeah. Just water everywhere. But of course, it has to start it somewhere. It just keeps raining. Today's yeah. the first day. This is what they kind of call the secret lake. It's not really a secret and it's not a lake. It's actually an art of... It's, um, it, it's like a, a man-made lake, in fact. But it's... I think was that kind of water was always had an industrial use. I think this was made, 
you know, just for people to come and visit and go fishing and and you know how and kind of appreciate like the wild fowl. So human, human. What do you say? Leisure. Yeah. Leisure. 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 It's like that sound. What you teach? Like in pleasure. You are an English teacher, no? Yeah. Do you teach this? Uh, the, like when you teach people, do you teach them the British accent when you teach your students? Um, well, I kind of teach them kind of um, using my accent, but. Um, but you don't make a point about I, it. I yeah, I mean, I say well, there's this way of saying it, but there's also an, another way. Of, so the the two kind of like most well-known kind of accents are like the kind of British accent and the American accent but I I can English is a basic is a lingua franca so I kind of teach them what's the best way to communicate with the maximum amount of people and if you know if somebody speaks I mean this this place could be so nice but I mean People are fucking disgusting. Um, sorry, that's a, another detail. Um, I, I kind of I try to teach them um, to communicate in a way that's practical for them. So I'm not really kind. I'm not so kind of didactic that you know my accent is the right way to speak. Um, of course, I you. I use the tool that I have, which is my own accent. But um, but as long as it's, I, I teach them to be understood really by as many people as possible. Well, for example, now you say understood. Yeah. Maybe an American will say understood. Yeah, quite. So I. What and, do you and, and, and that's also something that's even different in the south of England. Because, I mean, that the way that we use the, I, I would say but, like a oh sound. And in the south of England, they use like a, a but. Huh. We are, the, the vowels in the north of England are a lot flatter than in the south. And which one do you teach? Well, I teach my own accent. But, of course, sometimes I'm using books and they're listening it'll say some it'll they'll have like a recording of somebody who's from the south of england or another accent and students might make a comment that well the way you say it is is different and i said well yeah they're both correct it's just mine is better yeah <laughs> well sometimes i might say that for yeah just for a little joke you know yeah but mine is bad but i mean um after yeah when it comes down to you know the yeah, I, I kind of teach them, you know, to say, well, you need to be ready that the, in the UK there will be people with, even in, within the UK, you know, you've got so many different accents, let alone in the world. Thank you. And then that's the thing, like your teacher, your students are mostly Asians, if I understood, right? Um, like Asians and Middle East. At the moment, <coughs> it's predominantly Middle East. So um, and uh, because I'm work well for the company I've been working for since 
October. Before that, the year before that, it was mostly people who were wanting to enter university. So about, probably about 55, 60% of the overseas students that come into the UK are from China. And then quite a few from Korea as well. Um, I and, saw then, and then after that, probably the next biggest group of people from the Middle East. But uh, it's, um, yeah, predominantly, you know, people from China. But they, uh, that's why I was going to ask you, because they, they special, they like, they've heard a lot of English probably from American things, from gringo things, no, United States. Surely, yeah. And, uh, but they come here, no? Do they have, or do they try, or do they want to get some American English, gringo English, or do they stick to the British for some reason? Well... I mean, the important, well, it's difficult to know because a lot of the time, like Chinese students, they're, I mean, it's a big generalization, but they're quite passive. So they, um, they avoid speaking, so it's, but they, they, they tend to, they'll, they'll copy whichever paradigm, whichever, um, accents being presented to them um, they don't really make any kind of um, an indication to me that they want to that they're bothered about whether it's American or British but I guess yeah you're right that they all their like they'll probably be more likely to have like um, American references to English You know, they, especially with, you know, they love like all the kind of comic book uh, hero films and music all, and music and like they all kind of like uh, love like American sport like yeah loads and loads of like um, Chinese like boys they're all they all love like LeBron James <laughs> they 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 all look like or what do you say they all love LeBron James uh, they love him. Love, yeah. how you They're say it? Like love. 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 Yeah. yeah, it's a different accent. There you go. LeBron James is this basketball player, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not very into, very much into sports neither. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw a lot of Chinese in downtown Manchester. And Marie told me that they are, this is the third biggest Chinese community in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think like this, um, outside of, well, outside of Asia, I guess maybe. Because you've yeah. got like um, obviously um, Thailand. I don't know. There's probably other places like San Francisco has a big and um, uh, well, you you've been to uh, Montreal or Montreal. As yeah, it's say. a lot there too. So there's a big big Chinese community there. But yeah, like South, like South Manchester and and Liverpool have big Chinese communities here. Why? Um, well, I think it's just like a critical mass, really. You know, here, here in particular, it's more like Hong Kong. Uh, it's more like Cantonese-speaking Chinese. So, like, when there were already quite a lot of Hong Kong Chinese here, but after 1997, a lot more came. What happened in 1997? Um, Hong Kong um, went from being, like, a British protectorate. I'm not sure if that's the right term, protectorate, but they were part of, like, the... They were they had like a British governor, 
and they were returned back to mainland China, which um, I think people in mainland China were very happy about, but the Hong Kong Chinese and were not 100% happy about that state of affairs. And well, you can see what's happened recently. Yeah, they probably were quite justified in having that skepticism. So they started to move out of, of Hong Kong and started to come to UK? Yeah, and, and other places, but because there was already a kind of a stable kind of Cantonese-speaking community here, um, you know, a load more came to like Manchester and Liverpool. Huh. And Liverpool's like about, f you know, if you, it's like less than an hour away, so it's almost kind of like we're in the same city now. Like you said the other day, you know, Liverpool and Manchester, they've both got very different ident separate identities, but we're so close. Yeah, eventually it's just gonna become the same city. Yeah, it's a macro, maybe not a city, but a urban sprawling, no? Yeah, kind of like a bit like a kind of, well, in a much smaller sense, like kind of like you know, Tokyo, Kyoto, and whatever the other one's called, I can't yeah, remember. I think it's neither. One of those like mega cities. It's very nice to have the sun reflected both, both times and, here. And if you kind of squint, you can't see any trash. <laughs> no, it's so nice to have like the sun reflecting. Should I just throw this here? Yeah, oh, I would go fucking mad. <laughs> the lo do it the local way. Yeah. So I think we can, over there, there's some more. Industrial? There's some more hens. What more what? Mohen is like um it's like a black bird like uh, a black Mohan. Black bird. I think in French you call it um un poule d'eau. Mm-hmm. Ah oui, poule d'eau oui. And it's got like this kind of like white kind of plaque on its nose. So you, you knew you were already an English professor before you learned French, right? Yeah. Does, does learning French help you to become a better English professor? Absolutely, yeah. I mean any, if you've had any experience of being a learner, it helps you to be a better teacher. Because um, you realise that things that you take for granted, you think will be easy, actually not so, you know, so they're not so easy. So like the other day when Marie was talking about, you know, she was, that with her... <coughs> students she was um trying to get across the point of of use uh, she was trying to get them to understand some of the meta language so what is an adjective what's a noun and what and so forth well having gone from learning Eng from being an english speaker learning french I re yeah i before i was an english teacher i didn't really know i i i well, I knew what was an adjective, what was a noun, and what's a verb, but a lot of the other kind of like meta language, I had no idea about, you know, so, you know, if you ask me, you know, what's the s subject of this sentence, I wouldn't have understood what they were talking about. Um, and really having learnt French it makes it kind of like um, so much easier 
to kind of find a a way of explaining that because you know you've kind of had to do but I suppose that's not just about language learning I suppose that's similar in in lots of other fields you know if you knowing what it's like to be like an adult learner not how um and having to because like but when you when you learn a language from when you're a baby the the process is not entirely the same well first of all when you're a baby your head is not filled up with other things yeah it's really like empty i think i think ha- learning french really yeah helped me kind of like because I was an adult learner that's the important thing knowing what it's like to learn a language as an adult learner there's Not a, there's probably another difference that i mean is that you'll tell me i don't know but i think that english as you said is a lingua franca so mm. probably people who learn it are just want to go to college or something like that French I feel it's more like um a language of passion people want to learn French for another reason yeah and probably maybe that influences either the method the groups of study the motivations things like that yeah yeah i mean i think those those people who are learn well i think if you're learning french the the motivation is much more likely to be intrinsic so plenty of people learn english because i mean in mexico i just you know and you can tell me but but uh if you don't learn english as a mexican your job prospects are like yeah they go down way way low and in well Uh, it'd be interesting to see like the average salary between the p- those who have a certain level of english and those who don't exactly yeah whereas like <clears throat> i can't imagine that well there may be some kind of correlation between those who who have learnt french in mexico um simply because those who've learned french they've probably um also have various other achievements so there may be some correlation but the causation is probably not an awful lot to do with them speaking french yeah but um <coughs> uh you if you if you learn french it's probably well i from the people i knew it was much more kind of something to do with prestige or um having a kind of uh so, you know being like a francophile enjoying like french cinema or liking yeah. traveling it was nothing it wasn't anything to do with well you know next well ne- this time next year either through legitimate or illegitimate means i'm going to be in an english speaking country <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, jobs and everything, yeah. Yeah.
So well, I, well that, that's I'm sure I'm yeah. sure you saw this in Mexico. Yeah. Because that's where I met you. You were a teacher. No, actually, yeah. did I meet you in Mexico or I, I met think, you? I think I met you for the first time in France. Yeah, you already had you already left Mexico. I wasn't yeah. in Mexico when you Yeah, you, when I think you, you were in India when oh, I, when I was in Mexico. Exactly. But But I was going to ask you when I when you were in Mexico, did you know I noticed something? I don't know if you know you had time to notice or in your your social environment you were capable of noticing it but i've noticed that a lot of the times people people in mexico who who have a who if they come from a lower socioeconomical level they tend to to have time experience in the united states you know or oh. family yeah and often they speak better english than middle class yeah like high class well they do speak yeah. good english low class need English and they have it because they lived in Texas or Chicago but middle class sometimes they stagnate wherever they are yeah, in well, their comfort zone yeah I, I guess that's where most of your of your that's where most of your most of your students came from that no yeah um, we go down now. Um, certainly I If you have to do something because you have to live like day to day, like get a job and that kind of thing, um, it's it's certainly a big motivation. It's extra. It's it's an it's an exterior kind of motivation, but I mean it's. Um, but I suppose you you having to eat is is a very strong one. Um, quite a few of the people I had at Berlitz, you know, they could pay. Yeah. Or at least their companies could. Companies, true. Yeah. Um, and there were, like you said, there was plenty of people who were kind of just coming really more as like a social thing. They were coming for a couple of, like maybe two or four hours a week, you know, to and they didn't do they didn't do an awful lot outside <laughs> of the class well somebody started early what weed oh it smelled i didn't yeah. smell martin tell me what has for you that you are an english teacher you are here in manchester uh, back to your hometown after some years away i think you live in france too no mexico yeah. and france yeah it's very interesting we share that um What has changed during this last year of confinement and all the changes the world is going on for you? Either in your professional life or in your personal personal life? How it has affected you? Um, well, uh, well I suppose the most obvious one is monetarily it's affected me because I've gone, I went from like a relatively, I, I had like a, I was working a job where I had a 12 month contract, quite a good salary. And then when that finished, that finished in, in at the end of August. Um, the job, uh, a lot of the job, those kind of jobs had just disappeared. So the only work that w was, that was available was kind of like precarious 
zero hours type uh, work where which was paid much worse but nobody well at least nobody was working in those in in that area we're not really in a position of power to to negotiate anything better so um also the, the way that work uh, and like i mentioned the other day the way that um the way that we work the way that i work in a in a classroom um the the student really um takes on much more of a role as a customer so they're very they've kind of they're, they're very much in a position of strength they just say what they want to do and we say yes even if it's not pedagogically very a good idea for them but because they're the customer and because there's so many of us who are in the industry who are basically just trying to survive because you know so many as i said before so many businesses are really close to bankruptcy yeah we we, we kind of have to do what they ask us to do the um, students yeah so you know the uh the supply is plentiful and the demand is relatively small so we kind of have to bend over backwards to do what they want um, which is not good for the students you're telling me i don't think so no why um, what because it means that they they're 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 able to to go into uh to join a class but with very little kind of engagement and they can just uh they think well you know i've paid to be here i can just sit here if i do homework or if i do extra work that's my choice or not so they they really kind of think well i'm the customer i do what i want to do and they don't necessarily have to engage we don't as teachers you know we can put pressure on on them to a certain extent but it's more a matter of motivation now yeah and personally personally um well, personally, not a huge amount has changed, um, apart from, I think, just plans that we had have just kind of like been delayed by a year. So we thought, well, I don't know, maybe we would move to France, move, move back to France or go to a different country and everything is has been kind of like in stasis for the last like for the last how many well for the last how many months i don't know i'm not counting anymore but it's been in, on stasis yeah uh so i mean there was a bit in the middle where you know where there was that kind of the dip 
and the economy kind of got going a little bit. Like people started doing things, you know, operating as a society again. So like our next door neighbors managed to move house. Um, but then it, we've kind of gone back into this kind of moment where we're where we're kind of like locked down again and and we can't really you know we can't really uh, operate normally um so yeah i think we, it just it feels like we're you know everything's on ice and you know, I'm, i mean i'm sure that's something you've probably heard from other people you know I mean, how, how when when you uh, when you've been talking to other people, how have they? It's been that's the thing. It's been interesting because I feel I feel there is people who feel even guilty to tell me that it's been a good year for them. You know, depending on what they're doing, or if they had a plan, or if personally, like they they use this time for for whatever that they needed to do. Um, I just I think. You just get a good definition. It's on ice. I like that image because you don't know how thick the ice is. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've had some colleagues who, who definitely, you know, they've actually said to me in in the same way that I feel, you know, I know I shouldn't really say this because people have been having a bad time, but for me this has been fine. I've, I, they say that I've just been doing my job as I did before, but it just means now that I can do it from home, I don't have to go into, I don't have to take a, a bus for 45 minutes to go into work. So means that they've kind of like won like two hours a day and they can, whereas um, I, I, mi I miss going into the office. Um, and I miss, yeah, I miss, I, I, I can't do the things I did socially online. So I mean, I hear about all these kind of people do like quizzes and things on Zoom. I've, outside of work, I've used Zoom about six times in the last year. Whereas I know a lot of people, they do, can, I've heard about like Zoom discos, Zoom pubs, Zoom all this, that and the other. And, and I really, yeah, it's not for me. Well, yeah, I, and, I, and I don't really exist on social media. I mean, I don't do Twitter, don't do Instagram. I've got a Facebook account, which I don't really do anything with. But you grew up in a pub, so yeah. probably you are used to that yeah. movement and everything. Yeah, in, in some ways, I mean, I've, I've had to kind of engage with technology because otherwise I wouldn't have a job. But um, I'm a bit of a Luddite, really. A what? A Luddite, it's like a way of saying, um, I'm, well, in its extreme form, a Luddite is anti-technology and I'm not really anti-technology. I just um, have a bit of inertia to kind of, to to use like uh, technology to its fullest extent. I mean, actually, Luddite actually is another term that comes from the Industrial Revolution. You know the word saboteur? Yes, and I, I know this story about the early the early early industrial revolution where people were burning machines and destroying them, no? Yeah. So the, the the word saboteur came from like artisan in France. Uh -huh. You know, 
so people who were kind of like weavers and think who were doing things in their own cottage in their own kind of um maison de canoe mm -hmm. in like in Lille um in and when like these big kind of like um uh industrial processes came about you know they took their their stubble their their clogs and threw them into the machines to break the machines so that's where the word saboteur comes from ah les sabots yeah uh, and sabotage yeah so uh yeah so they were kind of like breaking their these big industrial processes with their shoes um Right, Luddites, I think that it came from a, I'm not 100% about the legend, but it came, I think there was a legend of somebody called Captain Ludd, who used to lead like a, he was a leader of a group of um, artisan producers. And they would go and, like you said, they would go and burn um, machines and, and whatnot, because they were kind of ruining, they were kind of disempowering the people who've been earning their trade in that way, you know, for generations. Yeah, yeah, there was, now we think about the 19th century now, so kind of far away, but that was a violent time, you know, kind of what's yeah. happening right now. Yeah. So you're not a Luddite, but you're not into that, but you have to, in a way, adapt. Yeah. Huh. And a lot of the time when I'm doing, I hate doing interviews for jobs where I've got to really talk about how I've adapted to uh, they ask you about it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've got to kind of wheel out some kind of bullshit answer about how I'm really enthusiastic about um, or about adapting to these new ways of learning. It's and, and how, you know, I was, I think, yeah, yeah, I think it, the things that we've gone through during this year, it's a real opportunity for us. <laughs> and it just, yeah, and... Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like dying a bit when I'm saying this thing. Fuck. Well, the worst, the worst is that I don't think they believe it, neither. Yeah, probably you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Martin, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, okay. Would you like a cup of tea? For sure. <laughs>